welcome to hey great shot this is the great shot podcast a cracked rackets and tennis channel podcast network production my name is alex gruskin on today's show we continue our conversation examining the state of the union of american women's tennis entering this 2021 season with tennis.com editorial producer david kane on part one of the show we discuss serena williams sonia kennan jennifer brady as well as the current state of affairs in australia here on part two we discuss the rest of the many talented american women currently Currently on tour, that means conversations about players like Madison Keys, Sloane Stevens, Collins, Pegula, the many talented young American women. Of course, Shelby Rogers, Allie Risk, and so many more. I promise, if you're a fan of American women's tennis, we probably touched on your favorite player. So I think this is a part two of a discussion all of you listeners should very much enjoy. Of course, quick note about some of the other content we have going on here at Cracked Rackets. We are recapping each day's action in Australia on our mini break podcast. If you are not already, be sure to go check those out. Like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. Of course, we are continuing our GSP of the day here making our selections for our picks in each day and right now we're 12 and 8 as of me recording this intro outro that doesn't include Monday's picks hopefully those ended up going pretty well we're going to assume they did and assume our record improved so of course if you want to get in on the action while the action is hot turn to our friends at DraftKings and of course if you aren't already signed up here's how it works you're going to go to DraftKings.com create your DraftKings sportsbook account and make a deposit from there DraftKings will match your first deposit At 20% up to $500. After that, it gets real easy, folks. You're going to make your first bet. And DraftKings will also match that with a risk-free first bet up to $500. By the way, that works out perfectly because you have the most knowledge of any tennis fan out there in the business. You know you're going to nail your tennis pick. Why not use that free $500 uh, uh, pick to maybe throw something on the Super Bowl, right? Maybe you really love Pat Mahomes. Maybe you're a Michigan man like myself and you, you fancy yourself a Tom Brady fan, whatever it may be, get in on the action with our friends at DraftKings and just go to dkng.co slash cracked open to take advantage of their limited time offer. That's dkng.co slash cracked open. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, New Jersey, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania, 1-800-9, with it in Indiana, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. Users must be 21 years or older and in a participating state to take advantage of this offer. Deposit bonus is in DK dollars, which have no cash value and must be used on DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for more details. Speaking of more details, many more American women for us to discuss entering this 2021 season. So, without further ado, here's part two of my conversation with the great... David Kane. We've talked about players. We are very positive about players who certainly have continued to put forward uh, good results thus far. Let's switch gears here and talk about someone who did not find her rhythm during the 2020 season, but is someone who has certainly been circled as a future Grand Slam champion amongst the American women. And that's Madison Keys, who I think enters this 2021 uh, season in a fascinating place. Because what was the calling card for Madison Keys? It was her firepower. That serve, her ground strokes, when they land, she hits you off the court. And 
we had almost, you know, uh, the easy comparison because of how big her serve is when it's landing is Serena Williams. And to compare any player to Serena Williams is just stupid at this point. We're better than that in 2021. We're better than that sort of comparison. But Madison Keys now, like with all due respect, there are other players in the women's game near the top of the rankings who can now do the sort of thing she does, right? Arena Sabalenka can attack you in a very similar linear, aggressive way as Madison Keys was doing at her peak. And I just think you see so many power hitters now. And Alina Rabakina, I try to mention her as frequently as possible, very similar in the way she attacks. And obviously, I think Iga Shiantek, her ball is a little bit more explosive. There's a little bit more rotation to it. But again, that plus power exists. Diana Yastremska, an obvious one. The plus power exists for so many players. For Madison Keys, she wasn't healthy during the 2020 season, and we know what she's capable of when healthy, but given how many talented players there are now in the women's game, curious if you're buying, selling, or holding on a 25-year-old Madison Keys, who as of right now, number 16 in the WTA Live rankings. Well, I mean, first of all, you have to look at how Madison's going to start the season. She is not going to start the season with everybody else not playing in Australia, which is a a big ding to her season because to the extent that Jen Brady is going to have a lot of advantages on hard courts, this would be an opportunity for Madison to make up a lot of points. She made the Brisbane final last year. I think Madison, the two things that have held her back over the years continue to hold her back. And that is the lack of more in her shots. And I think when it comes down to it, a general lack of killer instinct. I mean, I think an interesting comparison over the years has been sort of the rivalry dichotomy between Madison and Sloane Stevens. They're very good friends, similar ages, have achieved similar successes on tour, but Sloane has consistently gone that step farther both times against Madison in the finals of the U.S. Open, the semifinals of the French. And I think Madison and Sloane are really great friends, and I think that they get along. But I think on the tennis court, I think I don't think Sloane really cares if Madison lives or dies in that match. And I don't know if Madison feels the same way. I think there is that inherent empathy and we've seen that off the court channeled into tremendously noble purposes her anti-bullying campaign i think she's done fantastic work and will continue to do to do fantastic work when she finishes her career i just think looking to 2021 and looking at her prospects and whether she can make it back to the top 10 make it back to a wta finals which is where she was a couple of years ago i think that to your point there are a lot of heavy hitters who are finding that margin of error um, more successfully, whether they be a Sabalenka with consistency, Jen Brady with spin, a Rabakina uh, with precision. I think that that there needs there there are, I hate to say it, but like better models of that game mm-hmm. currently on tour right now. So I think she would be one that unfortunately I would have to sell on the court. In life, I would buy, but se- uh, on the court, <laughs> I think it's I think it's unfortunately it's a sell. No, I, I agree with you. And look. I think she was 29 and 14 during that 2018 season. She made the semifinals of the U.S. Open that year, semifinals of Roland Garros, losing to Osaka and I think Sloane Stevens, respectively. And, you know, the next year she follows it up 2019. She was 28 and 15 and was round of 16 at the U.S. Open and quarterfinals at Roland Garros before losing to eventual champion Ashley Barty, round of 16 at the Australian Open. Last year, 8 and 5, which isn't great, but you think about her five losses, Pliskova, Sakari, Jabour, Cornet, Shui Zhang, that's fine. Like, it's not bad. Why I would sell on Madison Keys has nothing to do with her game, and why I would sell on her game, as you mentioned, 
outstanding, exceptional per, uh, person, has already accomplished more and done more with her platform than I can probably ever hope to do. But from a tennis perspective, it's just the book is out on Madison Keys. Like there haven't been any instrumental changes or even significant changes in her game to make me think about there's going to be a change in the trajectory of the way things have gone. Her first serve percentage is kind of leveled out around 62-63%, which is good, Her, but it's not great. Her first serve win percentage leveled out about 70%, which is good, but you thought with the weapon that is her first serve with how big her plus one forehand can be that she could creep up to that 75-80% Serena Williams elite of the elite range. It really hasn't and just... She's so, uh, respectfully, so one-dimensional. It's just, it's such power linear tennis. The defensive skills really have never come. And I just, I don't know what the adjustment is for her because if you're just playing power tennis, there are so many talented players who can play that. And so do I think she's ever going to drop out of the top 50? No, her serve, her forehand are that good. But I think top 25 is now the range for her as opposed to top 10. And so that's why it's probably I, – I didn't think that before. I used to think it was top 10. So I'm probably a slight sell on keys. You see her hit the ball, and when it goes in, you believe, and you see the yeah. athleticism, and you see the power. But I think it's just and, – and again, and it did seem like maybe there was a bit of a breakthrough in Cincinnati a few years ago when she beats Simona Halep and wins that title. But again, at the big tournaments against these players you know, who are so single-minded and so competitive – she's not getting it done and, and and i've seen her be disappointed and upset in so many press conferences and it breaks your heart because she's such a a nice person and seemingly very much invested in this but i think there needs to be some kind of big change and i don't know where she'll find that at this point mm-hmm. no it's a good question for her and it's a good question for the other player who as you mentioned when you talk madison keys you always have to talk about it as well and that's sloan stevens and it just feels like the two ever since they played that grand slam final but even before that their results have been tied together they've been two people american women's tennis fans have just watched so closely over the years and you look for sloan stevens and i mean talk about a player who has struggled just immensely uh, over the course of really the past two seasons, even beyond 2020. And look, in the rankings, it doesn't look that bad. She's currently, I think, number 40 in the live rankings, and a lot of that has to do with the protections that have been put in place as well uh, for past results that just aren't falling off of the resume right now. But you look for her after going 37-20 and 20 during the 2018 season, and of course that 2018 when she ends up making uh, the French Open final falling uh, to, I believe that was Simona Halep in that final. I think she won the first set. We all remember that match. But since that season, she she has gone 24 and 18 in 2019 and then 4 and 11 in 2020. And I mean, you look at some of the losses she took during the course of the last season to Renata Zarazua in Acapulco. She lost back-to-back matches to Leila Fernandez, who's really freaking good as a young 17-year-old, but that is not a match you ever thought Sloane Stevens would have won. Uh, lost by the end of the at the end of the 2018 season, and it's just like even the wins she did get. Okay, she beat Buzernescu, she beat Gavrtsova. You were thinking, can she build some momentum from there? And wins the first set against Serena, but then you know losses to Muguruza, Hibino, and Bedosa Jaber to end her season, and just it just wasn't pretty for Sloane Stevens at any point during the 2020 season. And it's a trend that really started. 
second half of 2019. You look for Sloan now again. I mentioned it. She's number 40 in the world. I think she turns 28 in March of this season. Buy, sell, hold for you, David, at this point for Sloan Stevens. I mean, in many ways, the stock was so low. You, How could you not buy? But I think, unfortunately, <laughs> for Sloan coming into 2021, that you know, personal tragedy, losing her grandfather, I think that makes um, – it makes it makes you feel like it might get worse on the court before it before it gets better if it can get better. I was very much of a belief in that 2018 season that Sloan had really figured it out, had become sort of this um, stateswoman of the game, had kind of adjusted to her position, had kind of reconciled the past difficulties and disappointments of being that young gun and not feeling like she could live up to that potential, then winning the U.S. Open, making another slam final, playing really well through the through the end of the year, including the WTA finals where she finished runner-up to Alina Svitolina that year. But as you said, since 2019, it hasn't been – it's been consistently inconsistent results. And I, I did watch that match against Badosa and, and Paris, and it's, it's not that she's losing these matches. It's the way that she's losing these matches, these shots that she's dumping into the middle of the net. It's just – there doesn't seem it's that same kind of Sloan that I remember from those years in the wilderness before she won that grand slam, just not getting the sense that she was completely invested. I mean, obviously I think you could, you would, um, I would infer that that's certainly a defense mechanism, you know, to deal, to not deal with the disappointment in a way that really consumes you to kind of have to kind of shake it off and shrug it off, sometimes literally shrug it off. But um, I think, Listen, she's still a fantastic athlete. She still has very good technique, got very close to beating Serena Williams of the U.S. Open last summer. So I think it might just take that one result, that one match to turn things around. I just, I don't know when that's going to come, especially, I mean, there are, I mean, there have been players who've been motivated by personal tragedy and been able to turn that around fairly quickly. Monica Sellis making the French Open final in 98 after the loss of her father. I mean, but it, it, you can't have those expectations on a player. That's tremendously unfair um so i think in the short term again she would be one of those players that you would have to sell just because we don't know where she is tactically mentally emotionally for for many for some very good reasons for some reasons we don't even know because this is this has been a trend leading up to 2021 Mm -hmm. 28 and 29 since the start of the 2019 season it's funny because i'm looking through these losses here and like the only ones that are you don't want to that are just you know, she just shouldn't be losing. I see a loss to Tatiana Maria, 2019 Miami, second round. That's not a great one. I see a loss, you know, to Rebecca Pedersen. She probably lost, wants that match back. Anna Kalinskaya, first round, 2019 U.S. Open. She probably wants that one back. But, like, you know, some of these losses, they're really not that bad. The problem is Sloan Stevens was winning these matches in 2018, and you're absolutely right, and you can tell she turned back to former coach Kamal Murray because she's just lost right now on court. That's the way to say it. You watch her play a match, and there's just the synapses between, okay, I hit this shot. Now I know to hit this shot. It's just not there for her right now. She's just kind of out there swinging freely, and Sloan Stevens is such a phenomenal athlete that physically she can just find herself in alive, alive in a lot of these matches, and she's someone through just throughout the course of her career. I think she's averaged like a, a 70% first serve percentage, or at least has done so since the start of that 2017 season. She just plays high percentage tennis, but you're right. There's just these these forehands dumped in the tape of the net or just these down-the-line shots when she's 12 feet behind the baseline where you're just like, what are you doing, Sloan? Like, you just didn't need that one there. And it's 
it's the sign of a player who's a little bit lost on court. I think that's a good way of putting it. And so, again, I still like what she's able to do match in, match out. I like the way she competes, but there are just so many talented ball strikers right now ascending their way up the WTA rankings. I'm probably a slight sell. It's it's tough. I mean, I you like the partnership with Coach Murray, right? Like, I do think that will pay dividends because you could even tell during the World Team tennis season it was a stupid thing, but, like, having him there on the sidelines, there were moments when he would just say, hey, come on, Sloan, like, this is what I'm seeing out there, and she would immediately play better. It's the kind of thing where you, you wonder – I mean, they've been together. They've reunited. It's been a while since they've been since they reunited. So you wonder when that's going to pay off. And you you also wonder, you know, the partnership ended probably for a reason. And so why? <laughs> what is happening there? And I think you know, Sloan is a per, is a player just and a person really needs somebody who she who can really command her respect. And I think if you don't command that, then you might not get um, the same um, response or the response that you're looking for as a coach. Um, so I think that might they might they may have hit a point in their relationship where they're comfortable and they understand one another, but Sloan may need somebody, maybe not right this second, given what she's going through, but if she wants to make a really big turn on, maybe needs someone who's really going to turn the tables on her uh, in practice and really get her out of her comfort zone. Because clearly what is happening right now is not, it's not really working. Mm-hmm. No, she will be someone certainly to circle. Uh, you'd love to see her come out of the gate strong, right? You'd love to see just oh, yeah. two wins, two wins in a row. You feel like that could be a breakthrough for her. Just get to a third round or like a fourth round, a second week of some event, uh, and just get some confidence building from there. No, she will certainly, again, be someone to watch as we move towards this 2021 season. All right, there are a ton of other names we could get to, David, and you know we could talk probably about every woman. Again, could I do... I don't know if I could do 30, but could I do 10 minutes on Francesca DiLorenzo? Absolutely. Could I do a quality seven on Asia Muhammad? I think I could. But want to lump some of these players together right now. I see you pondering in your brain. Could you do seven on counting Asia Counting how Muhammad? many minutes on it's <laughs> not as many on those in particular. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. No, we could save them for a different time. And uh, I do, though— want to group some of these players together because I just think whether it be age-wise, ranking-wise, where they're at in their career, it's it's very similar situations. And I think, uh, you know, two players I want to focus on in particular, Danielle Collins and Jessica Pegula. Collins, 27 years old, currently 46 in the world. Pegula, 64 in the world, currently 26 years old. Both really interesting players, I think, for different reasons. And you saw for Collins last year, she beats Muguruza at the French Open. She is always someone who, if she's striking the ball well, I'm sorry, but, like, you're in trouble. Because there is no shame in anything Danielle Collins does on the court. If she sees the opportunity to go down the line, we're going down the line. We're ending this point. Let's start with her. Just, again, this is going to be a more rapid fire than perhaps the breakdown of the other ones. But... For Collins, it wasn't the best 2020 season. It, uh, results did plateau a little bit. It seems like top 40, a good range for her. Buy, sell, hold. I buy. I buy Danielle. I, I adore her. I think she's <laughs> a fantastic personality. And I think we the more I get used to the whole deal that is Danielle Collins, the more I like what I see. And I think that had a fantastic run at the French, has made a Grand Slam semifinal before. And those are the kind of results that are going to um, – propel you up the rankings. So do I see her maybe being a top 10 player ever? Maybe not, but I think she's certainly better than 
46, if I can read the WTA's rebranded font correctly at 46. <laughs> um, that's certainly, I could certainly see her being a, a seed at a slam, I think, based on uh, being able to replicate results like she was able to do in Paris. It's a little Brad Gilberty, right, in that you got to be in on the joke. Like, Danielle Collins is in on the joke. She understands she's over the top, but unless you understand she understands, you may there may be some misconception there, right? She, she understands. I feel like she is in on the joke. I know. I definitely get the sense, you know, getting to see her impress. And, I mean, I think – I don't think you could be like that and not be aware that that is rubbing people yeah. the wrong way. And I think you'd have to be a completely – that's a level – I mean, in a way – that's a level of delusion that would make me think she could win a slam, but I think she is not uh, that delusional. I think she's very much understanding how she is on the court. And I think on a serious note, just how learning about her evolution as a player and the support or sometimes lack thereof she got from her own parents when it came to getting into the field, maybe them not believing that she could be this player uh, does make me understand the, sort of visceral need for validation that she puts out there on the court. So in that sense, it makes me empathetic um, to how she is. It doesn't make me turn my nose up. I, I enjoy a good come on. Uh, I've never been accused of not being that way. So I <laughs> I say keep it up and, and and I say come on to Danielle Collins. No, hey, great shot is what we say on this podcast. I completely agree with you. That is just, yeah, it's just, she. see, I do think she is, delusional is the wrong word. I think she believes on a given day, she can be the best player on any court. And we saw what semifinals, I think, of the 2018 Australian Open, or maybe it was the 19 Australian Open, whichever one that it was. But she's just streaky. Like, I mean, she beats Tawson, who's really, really good, former junior number one, and I think will be in the top 100 by the end of this season. She beats, you know, Garbine Muguruza immediately after. She beats On Shabur right after that. And she had Kennan on the brinks just respectfully ran out of gas like there was just nothing left in the Danielle Collins tank in that third set that's why Kenan bageled her you know what's funny I was gonna sell I think you talked me into a buy I think you talked me into a buy David I just how can you not buy Danielle Collins you watch for 30 seconds and you're like oh my god you're like what is this you watch, you listen. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's a 360 degree experience. I, I would visceral. never turn it down. Very yeah. visceral experience. I agree with you there. Well, then flip side of that, calm, poised, collected, never too high, never too low. That was the Jess Pagula experience in 2020. And again, similar misnomer for Jennifer Brady. Jess Pagula was one of the breakthrough stars from start to finish, not just of the restart, but start to finish uh, throughout the 2020 season. It was at the start of the year. I believe she was the finalist in Adelaide, right? She ended up losing that match to Serena Williams uh, to start the year. And then, you know, you look obviously what she was able to do uh, throughout the home stretch of the season, her ability uh, to, I think it was what, third round, fourth round of the U.S. Open. I got to make sure I have this correct here. I'm going to say... Third round, I get the signal from you, David. Thank you. Third round of the U.S. Open, but quarterfinals, that's what it was. That's what I was blending. Quarterfinals of the Western and Southern Open prior to that. She beat Brady. She beat Anisimova. She beat Sabalenka all after coming through qualifying, of course. Uh, you look at what she was able to do to start the year quarterfinalist uh, in Newport Beach. And then it was Adelaide, right? Am I, am I crazy here? I want to make sure I'm right that I have the years correct. It was Auckland. Auckland, Auckland not Adelaide. All the uh, They're all just down under. It was one of those finals down under. 
Uh, yeah, so it was the Auckland final where she beat Wozniacki, Cornet, Zidanezic, CC Bellis before losing to Serena Williams. Uh, overall, you look what Jessica Pagula was able to do during the season, David. She's now uh, number 64 in the rankings. You buying, you selling, you holding on Pagula. Again, at, at 64, I don't see why you don't buy again. Yeah, yeah. very com- very calm, uh, grounded player who um, play- had some really impressive results throughout the year, as you said, post pre and post pandemic. Um, we haven't seen a ton of her this year, lost to Alina Svitolina to start the season, but I think she's got a few more, certainly a few more Grand Slam third rounds, maybe even a- another second week in her to kind of get that ranking up to a 30, 40 range. That's certainly doable given where she is right now. Pagula currently 36 by Tennis Abstract's uh, ELO ratings. That feels about correct. That does feel about correct. I think she's a. I mean, I think she's a top fifty player. I, I just do, and I think yes, her ground strokes are a little linear. Uh, yes, it's a very drive based player, but I'm just a believer. Like again, it's very similar to the you know Jennifer Brady mindset of look, I'm on the court here. I'm here to do business. I am here to battle with you. And you watch the Sabalenka match during the Western Southern Open. It was an absolute battle. And if you go back and watch that Kvitova match or the Flipkins match, honestly, Pagula Buzkova might have been my favorite first-round match at the U.S. Open. Talk about the contrast of styles and just two players who are out there going to fight. I just think on a hard court, Pencil her into the third round. Like, short of her drawing a top five seed, just pencil her in because she can just hurt you in too many ways. She moves really, really well. And she is someone who I think has multiple gears, who can play both, you know, play defense, but then turn that defense into offense. Yeah, outside of the top 50 is too low for her. And so by virtue of that, I am buying in 2021, if that makes sense. Um, Allie Risk. She is currently ranked 26. I would hold with Allie Risk. I think she's really talented. I was actually in Wuhan when she made that amazing run on those courts. Can certainly do that on hard courts in Australia. Can do it on grass. Can she round out the kind of season to be a top 15 player that I'm not so sure about? So I would hold. I think she could. She could certainly hold where she is right now. I'm probably a slight slight sell ever so slight sell but just because I think she's more top 50 than she is top 30 like I think in a given event she can be a top 10 player we saw what she did on the grass in particular like come Wimbledon she's a top 16 player but overall it's just a little one-dimensional like it's a little flat if you can get her to the outer thirds get her stretch break her rhythm what does she do from there I just don't see it the way – like, I, I kind of like Collins and Pegula a little bit more the way they can attack you than the way Ali Risk attacks you on a non-grass court, by the way. On a grass court, give me Risk. On the other ones, give me the others. Slight sell. Ever so slight sell. Ever so slight sell. But again, if I'm buying as much Pegula stock as I am, and, you know, I, I suppose she is the Pegula family, so there's a lot of stock to be bought, uh, I am – I'm all in on the Pegula. I, I – Pegula, and then I'll, I'll take the Collins a little bit out on risk. I'm in on Shelby Rogers, though. What do you think? Um, again, yeah. If if I'm if I'm picking between buying risk and buying Rogers based on ranking, again, I would I would probably buy into Shelby the way she was able to beat Petra Kvitova at the U.S. Open. You know, she's pulled off big wins in Australia, beat Simona Halep here a few years ago. So I think she's certainly one. 
Um, you'd want to buy into, but maybe a moderate buy just because of how many injuries Shelby has had in her career that have kind of derailed her for, for long stretches of time. So maybe you want to add a little bit of Shelby to your portfolio, but I wouldn't go too heavy on, on her just because of, of so evidently something technically is you would think is leading to some of these injuries. And so that's, that's always sort of a, a tell for me that when you look at an Andrea Pekovic or Shelby Rogers to have these sorts of injuries, you wonder what is going on in the game that it's making it um, less sustainable than, than her, than their peers. Yeah. Uh, that's a fair point. I, I'm a slight buy, slight buy. I, I watched the power. I watched the forehand. She was fit as ever during the 2020 season. If that translates into 2021, just she's going to win a lot of hardcore matches with that serve and that forehand. So I'm a slight buy there. I also sneaky like Bernardo Pera, who I think has lost like 15 straight three set matches, and that's not the actual number. It just feels like she has. It feels like every match she plays goes three. I just like the game style. Like, it's a sneaky, powerful lefty. Doesn't blow you off the court, but moves the ball well around the court. I just think she's too good for 125Ks. I don't know if she's quite good enough for the 500-level events yet. I, I'm in on Bernardo Pera. What do you think? Yeah, I would buy into Pera. I have a, I have a funny Bernardo Pera story. When the year that Mariana Lucic-Baroni beat Simona Hallam mm-hmm. at the U.S. Open, people were talking about, you know, how tough her road was to get to that that stage of the tournament, and she said, well, it started even for my first round in qualifying. I played a really tough Croatian-American named Bernarda Pera, and so I was actually at that match over on the, the then-new court four and just seeing that, again, sneaky power, lefty game. It's, you know, if having a different look gives you an inherent advantage on the women's tour, you're you're going to want to buy into your Bernarda Peras and your Jen Brady's. Not a lot of people play like them. Um, she was very close to... Um, taking out Serena Williams in Lexington last year before Serena was able to figure that match out. So certainly doesn't necessarily fear the big occasion, but I think, um, yeah, it's a matter of stringing together a few, few really good results for her. Yeah. I, I, that's what I agree. It's, it's all a matter of, can she get, uh, these, it's again, just the one, give me much like Sloan Stevens or Madison Keys. Just give me like three wins in a row, three wins in a row at one event. And then you'll have the momentum going in your direction. All right. My last question for you, and we're going to blend all of them together because there are so many talented young American women right now uh, out there, and we've mentioned some of them, Anisimova, Goff, Sigway, Lee, Bellis, the other young guns. In general, I mean, I guess I guess we can go one by one rapid fire edition here. Let's start with Coco Goff. Buy, sell, hold. Hold. I agree. Like, what is there? I, there's like, what? What's left to buy? Like, I, I don't think there's much out there. Yeah, I, I think still she's so young. She's so talented. Again, having to deal with players sort of getting to know you and your game and your rhythm, I think that can be difficult. And, I, and whereas where you would see it seem like Sophia Cannon is playing within herself, I always felt that Coco, great and amazing as she is, and again, great off the court was sort of redlining and, and just at a 12 where maybe you, you need to really be like at a six or seven for some of these matches, just so emotional, like, so the moment was bigger than her body, just the way she would celebrate and get so into these emotional moments. You have to wonder when that letdown would come. And there have been some less than impressive results over the last couple of months from, from Coco, where we would have expected her maybe to continue to step forward again, dealing with the pandemic and all of that. But yeah, I think for right now, I think you hold, and I think she still has a really bright future. No, I, I kind of love 
the calmness she now brings on the court that I do like that it's kind of been scaled back. She's like, yeah, I was a young phenom. Now I'm a professional and I'm trying to find my rhythm on court. And for a 16 year old to have the skill set she does bye. Uh, I completely agree with you there. All right. Again, keep rolling through here. Whitney Osigwe, buy, sell, hold. Believe she qualified for this Australian Open. She did, and impressively so, with a comeback win over uh, Mihaila Buzarnescu in, in the final round from a set down, I, maybe match point. I know it was like a, a very ridiculous deficit that she was able to turn around. I like her game. I think she's um, got a cool uh, cool technique. I'm really into that. I like a baseline or strong uh, backhand, strong forehand. Yeah, I buy into Whitney for sure. So, 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 so quick at the baseline and just the explosion she has. When she connects with that forehand, it's textbook. You're just like, whoa. It's just like, what was that swing? Can you can I see you do that again, please? And then she does, and it hits the back fence, and you're like, okay, one more time. And then it go, and you're like, oh, okay, that's a little bit better. Um, yeah, I'm a buy. I, I, I believe in her. I'm a big Ann Lee believer as well. I just think, oh my God, talk about her skill set, talk about her firepower. And it just seems to work across all three surfaces as well. Are you as big an Ann Lee fan who I think 99 in the world right now as I am? Yeah, I like, I like Ann Lee. I'm, um, uh, a colleague of, of mine and, and I sort of ambushed her after a qualifying match and she was really not prepared for our level of enthusiasm, <laughs> but um, she was just, uh, it, it, I think back to her making that Wimbledon uh, junior final against Claire Liu, you know, is seeing, would like to see Claire as well back um, towards the top hundred after, after how well she was able to play against Angelique Carver. But I like, I like Ann Lee. I think she's good, young, talented. I, I would buy into her for sure. I'm all in on Claire Liu, by the way, as well. She is someone I could, I think I've got 12 minutes on Claire Lou in the queue, if need be. Um, all right, Cece Bellis, yay or nay? She's one another one I would hold for similar reasons to Shelby Rogers. She has had a lot of injuries. If I looked up, looking her up for this interview, I did not realize she was still only 20 years old. It feels like from I know from 2014 how young she was, and and but feeling like she couldn't still possibly be that young. And I think she has one of those faces that she'll always be kind of a bit younger than she really is. But um, definitely hold for her. Very, very um, great to talk to. Very talented, but um, again, has had to deal with a lot of injury, and and maybe at some point may not necessarily have that same get up to keep going if, uh, in the face of continued setbacks. This is really non-quantifiable, stupid category, but there are just people, if you watch enough tennis, who just know how to win tennis matches, who are just have this intrinsic ability to, oh, you think they're out of this point? Nope, they're actually about to win this point. Oh, you think you hit a winner on them? No, they actually tracked that down and made some sort of bump lob that just landed on the baseline, and now you're back at neutral. That's CeCe Bellis, and I just... If she's healthy, she's a winner. Like, I'm just a believer in her as a person, her as a competitor. I happen to know her a little bit as well, and I, I just think she wants to be back at the top of the game because she sees Kennan and Anisimova and Goff and is like, no, 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 no. I was the best American junior of the 2010s. Let me remind everyone why we were so excited before I had to become the Wolverine in order to play these sorts of matches. Uh, you know, And it's just like, yeah, I, I'm a big believer. Big CeCe Bellis fan, so I think she ends up getting back, I think, hopefully, if healthy, knock on wood, top 60 by the end of the year. I think that would be a really good place for her. Last one for you. Katie McNally. It's a little one-dimensional, but the serve, the forehand, her willingness to move forward. She's already a top 50 WTA doubles player in the world. How high do you think she can get during this uh, in singles during this season? You buying, you selling, you holding. I think I could, I think I could see myself buying. I think she could be a top hundred player for sure. Just, I mean, having that 
experience with Coco and playing that doubles, you know, Martina Navratilova, Billie Jean King, huge believers in the idea that that doubles uh, at that young of an age helps your singles and, you know, pushing Serena Williams to three sets of the US Open a few years ago. I think there is a more upside to Katie McNally than 122. So I think uh, for sure I would buy into her. I, I'm just trying to think of uh, like it reminds me, you know, like I, I don't know if you're a baseball fan, but you know, like the Mark Teixeiras of the world, or like the the first baseman. Now, yeah, there's a look on your face, but yeah, the the power. <laughs> okay, well then I'm gonna scrap that one. You know how again, Michelle Kwan at her peak was just what she did. She did extraordinarily well, which is okay. just again, yes. no, All I think yes. This is what I'm saying about Katie McNeil. That's why the reason I was going to okay. say Mark yeah, Fisher I get is that. the thing. Yes, I, I <laughs> promise this is the direction I was going here. Is just the way her serve, her forehand, the way she moves forward. It just works, right? You know for the next 10 years, that is a WTA top 50 skill set. That is going to succeed. It's the everything else that I'm curious about is can she be a good enough mover to continue to find these first forehands? Can she continue to develop her two-handed backhand, in particular her ability to swing through that backhand on the return? If she can, the other things are already there. And so, like, I just— I I just feel like she's already such so close to a finished product, right? Where you're just like, right away, you're just like, I know what that is, and I see it, and I get it, and it works. I'm curious about the other stuff, though. Yeah, that's just one of those players I'd really want to see more of on the singles court and to really determine what is what is next for her. But I think, yeah, I think 19 years old, you never want to limit somebody or put a ceiling at the top 100. I think she certainly won, you know, just by sheer, you know, not inertia, but just the way things go, you know, you, you see a player like that eventually getting, if she keeps at it, will will make her way into top 100, top 80. It's just that eight, that generation of players are really starting to make moves. And ha- given that she hasn't really made one, a big one yet, I think that that one, you would imagine it's coming in, in 2021, having a full season to do it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. A, never put a ceiling on someone who cannot legally buy a drink yet. And B, uh, yeah, I, I, I do think, again, the skill set, what you see from her at such a young age is already so impressive. Well, then, one final question for you. I'm going to read some names to you, and you don't have to follow all the names. I just need a number at the end for you. Currently, there are 18 American women inside the top 100. Those names are Kennan, Serena, Keys, Brady, Risk, Anisimova, Sloan, Collins, Coco, Rogers, Para, Pagula, Davis, Venus, McHale, Bringle, Townsend, and Anley. Again, 18 total women. You don't have to worry about all like the too names. Many. <laughs> yeah, the question to you is over under that number of 18 come the end of this 2021 season. Players not in the top 100 right now, Katie McNally, CeCe Bellis on the precipice, Caroline Dalahide, Francesca DiLorenzo, some Sasha Vickery, Whitney Osigway action. Maybe you think Nicole Gibbs. This is the year she comes back. It's a Biden administration now. We're all ready to thrive. I, I think so. I mean, it just seems like such a large number already. And it's it's a huge some number. of the names that you're listing don't necessarily give me confidence that that number is going to balloon tremendously. So I think maybe slightly under, it might end up being, I could see it being the same, but a few different people sneaking in there in, in place of those who are currently there. But I, I think I think 18 is, if you end up any between anywhere between 12 and 18 by the end of next year, I think that's 
certainly fair. And I think ultimately the most important is who are at the top of those rankings. If you have 18 and they're all ranked between 60 and 100, maybe they're, that's not necessarily what they're looking for. But um, I, I think I think 15 to 16 for the end of next year is, is fair. They're all the ones who are still there are, are consistent enough that I would think are, uh, could hold on for another year. I think we do have, I, again, in the spirit of buy, sell, hold, I'm probably holding. 18's a lot. It's a lot. It, it really is. But I agree. That 15 to 20 range, I hope we're closer to 15 to 20 than we are, or, you know, 16 to 20 than we are 10 to 15. Because there are that many talented players. And maybe it's that, uh, you know, a Claire Lou pops. Or at Haley Baptiste, who we haven't talked about, maybe she pops into the top 100. Or it is a, you know, a Danielle Lau or a, you know, Vera Lepchenko just are healthy and just have these really good bounce back seasons. So, yeah, I, again, as we said at the top, as a whole, I'm buying American women's tennis because they're okay. just generationally, th- th- from the top to bottom, there is so much talent to uh, be had, so much exciting play, hopefully for us to all enjoy as fans over this next decade as it all unfolds. Of course, something for us to enjoy in the more immediate future, David, your coverage of all of the action going on down under for tennis.com and elsewhere. And so... For all of our listeners who are curious, where can we read more about David Kane? I really enjoyed his comments today. I want to hear his expanded thoughts as well. Where are we turning? Then again, anyone listening to this podcast also, yeah, they also know where to find your stuff already. If you're listening to this podcast, you know who David <laughs> Kane is. <laughs> At DKTNNS, all major social platforms, tennis.com and baseline, uh, link in the bio. All right, last question for you. I'm going to sneak this at you because I know you'll like this. Did you leave the WTA because you were you didn't like the renovations? You were like, I can't do this relaunch. I'm out on the colors. <laughs> to be honest, if it was if it was a choice, if it was a matter of colors alone, I would have stuck around. That's actually the color <laughs> of my childhood bedroom. Maybe that isn't a shock. Maybe it is um, yeah. based on what I'm, based on the color shirt I'm wearing right now. No, I I'm a fan of the rebrand. It, the the font is a little. I don't know if you've ever been the mars 3000 restaurant be in midtown manhattan it was a themed something about it really reminds me of the space age sort of sort of theme, I but i love say, the. it's very like it's very back to the future it's like it's portrait. i don't know it's something i like it i'm in i'm in on everything going on at the i mean it doesn't take much to sell me you send me a shirt i will rep it happily and sell your product they sent me a shirt i'm in that's that's definitely a lo- maybe that's a logo you want to send to uh, it's it's a slogan you want to send to the WTA WTA it's something. <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfect place to leave it. Well, I will tell you what this conversation with you, David, of course, was something to say the least. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Obviously, looking forward to reading all of your work and uh, you, you know as part of the Tennis Channel uh, Podcast Network family. Great to have you as a member of that family now. And of course, stay safe, stay healthy. Hopefully, we'll get the chance to talk to you soon. Cheers, Alex. Same to you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Take care. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with David Kane, breaking down the state of the union in American women's tennis heading into this 2021 season. A huge thank you to David for taking the time to chat. Be sure to check out all of his work on tennis.com. Truly 
one of the best in the business, folks. He gets players to open up to him in a way few others can. So looking forward to hopefully getting David back on the show at multiple points throughout the year as he continues to regale us all with his fantastic work. Uh, Again, if you want to hear the American men's version of the show, go check out our mini-break podcast feed, Judson Wall and I, doing a, a men's version of this there. I think we did it Thursday and we recorded on Friday. It may have been released on Sunday. Anyways, you can find both of those podcasts on your mini break feed, of course, to hear about some of the broader non-American players. Go check out the conversation I did with Sandy Middleman. That is also on the mini break podcast feed. Of course, here on this Great Shot podcast, what are we doing tomorrow? We're talking college tennis. Matt Sikoyak, Chris Halliwell is going to join me to break down a phenomenal weekend of college tennis action. Baylor getting knocked off, of course. Texas taking Baylor the distance. Wake Forest going the distance. UNC tested. A lot of information for us college tennis fans to absorb. We'll break it all down. Give our latest edition of our Cracked Rackets top 10 poll and so much more. Very much uh, looking forward to that podcast. So hopefully all of you listeners will tune in tomorrow. And again, for all of our content, be sure to check out the website CrackedRackets.com. You need those more immediate updates. I'm so excited. I'm trying to catch my breath. Twitter. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's all at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shout Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of any job they do day in, day out. Shout out, of course, as well to our friends at DraftKings. Go to dkng.co slash cracked open to get in on all the action. Uh, but with that in mind, for my wonderful guests, David Kane, our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we said. Hey, great shot, and we'll see you later this afternoon. Thanks, everyone.